Hi, welcome to the Dyslexia Podcast. I'm Tessa. We will be discussing China, Japan, and several other Asian countries. I am joined here today by Ms. Lindley, the Harperthal Mill School Learning Specialist, and the same one from episode three. Hello. I'm so glad to be back, and I think I'm here because I have had some experience I taught for two years in Japan. So I'm thrilled to be back and discussing what more Tessa has learned and is sharing with us. Yeah. So since the Japanese language and probably a lot of the other languages, Asian languages in that area of the world are based on the Chinese alphabet, let's talk about how the Chinese language works. So the basic unit in the Chinese language is a character. And there's about 3,000 Chinese characters that they use daily in China. That's a lot more than in the United States. And about 4,500 frequently used characters in Taiwan. So based on a study by Wu and Husan in 1984, a lot of these studies are a lot older Sadly, because there's not that much many studies nowadays. There's a lot of studies in the United States, but not around the world. Hopefully in a couple of years, a lot more are gonna come out because it'd be really interesting to see nowadays with technology, how that influences learning language and people with buying students with a learned disability. So in this study, they reported that Chinese dyslexic children made more visual distractor errors in Chinese character recognition than average readers of the same age, but not more phonological distractor errors. So what do you think distractor errors mean? Like if they're distracted and they create errors, or they just create errors on a test? Hmm, interesting. A distractor error. I wonder if that means that they misinterpreted either visually or what was the alternative error? Phonological. So they misinterpreted either what they saw on the page or what they heard when Mm -hmm. it was given to them. And then the distractor error would mean that it took them down the wrong road to misinterpret what it was that they were Mm -hmm. reading or hearing. Yeah. And they also show, um, so in China, they had a test called the Froskig Delphimental Test of Visual Perception. And dyslexic Chinese readers showed inferior performance on that test. They conclude that Chinese dyslexic children have a disability in basic visual perception functions. It is noteworthy that the this test is used used in their study is in fact a visual motor test, which involves both visual perception and fine motor coordination. So why do you think they're looking so much at the visual aspect of reading? Because I don't think that we as who are reading the English language or maybe even the Spanish language or any with similar alphabets as English really have to worry about the visual component. Let's focus on the regular Chinese classroom. So. For any student who's gone through Harpeth Hall's doors or any student who's gone through the public school system probably has learned that China and Chinese schools base a lot of their culture on the Confucianism heritage, 
where the idea of learning specific values and rituals and ceremonies are passed down generation by generation. So that might mean that many schools are doing it, teaching the same way for many, many years and many generations, probably based on geographical location, maybe status within the community. This is shown in societies such as China, Japan, and Korea. The process of self-cultivation and self-empowerment is not only an individual pursuit, but also a fulfillment of family duties and social obligations and is more explicitly expressed by students. So all those big words basically mean that because of the society of Confucianism, this heritage and ideals, students in China or Japan and Korea, they're really, they push a lot harder on average compared to English. Did you see that while you were in Japan? Without question, that's actually a really good point because one of the first philosophies of education that I had to understand when I was teaching in Japan is a phrase where they say the nail that sticks up must be hammered down. And so part of our educational philosophy was to impart that you as an individual learn to do what is best for the greater good and for the whole, not what is best for you as an individual. And that might not be as great for someone who has dyslexia, because if your nails sticking out and you're going to be hammered down, it's just going to come back up again. It's you need individualized help. And in those societies where you must be working as a group, helping everyone out, when someone's lagging behind, you might be kicked off. It's very interesting because a lot of these schools are very different in different periods of time. As we know that China, it's the People's Republic of China, and it's changed very much throughout the years starting in the 1970s, where individuals with disabilities were treated fairly. And it became very important in the 1970s for the People's Republic of China. Special schools were established for, for children with limited types of SEN, including mental retardation, visual impairments, and hearing impairments. However, it was not until 1986 that the compulsory educational law was passed encouraging local governments to provide compulsory education to children with or without disabilities. In 1990, a law was passed facilitating the development of different types of educational programs for students of SEN, including special schools, special classes, and general education for those students whose classroom performance would not be affected by their disabilities. So as it sounds like as I'm reading through these facts of information, it sounds like that China is trying, back then, they're splitting up the group so people who needed help would get the help they need. But we must all understand that China, we don't get a lot of information from China. We, this might be the truth, this might not be. We never will know. <laughs> As we hear now in the COVID situation, we really don't know what's going on and where COVID came from. We just have to trust what they're saying is their word. In 1994, closer to when I was born, the State Education Commission issued the interim measures for learning and regulating classes. So all these laws basically mean that they're creating laws to control how people teach. And they must teach students. They must teach students with or without a learning disability. They must have these 
specific laws to teach in certain classroom sizes. Many things changed over the years. By year 2000, two years before I was born, regular classes with disabled um, students and special classes attached to regular schools would assist as the main body, while special schools would play the role of the backbone, allowing students with disabilities into the general classrooms, therefore gaining a greater acceptance in China. So I think because of this, you can join in on this too, that by year 2000, they learned that everything that they've been doing has been ostracizing children with learning disabilities, whether in children with other disabilities rather than learning. That because they've been pushed aside into these different classrooms, into these different schools, they're, while they're helping them educationally, maybe, they're not they try to intermingle the groups in the school with regular disability students. That's really interesting because it follows along with a an ongoing over many decades debate that we have in education here in the US around whether you mainstream and you put everyone of varying abilities and needs in the same classroom or whether you track and you put these who are higher performers in this track and those who have certain specific needs in that track and they're separate and they get their separate needs met. And it's actually very much what you're describing that the, I guess after the communist revolution, they started trying to figure out how to educate everyone uniformly throughout mm -hmm. China, but we're not uniform, we're individual. Yeah. So how do you give everyone the same opportunity while at the same time accommodating and acknowledging that different students and different learners and different brains have different needs? Yeah. As we know, there's four main challenges that they face today, that educators in China face today in implementing these inclusive educations for students with and without disabilities. Most Chinese parents are very concerned about the academic performance of their children. And they worry that the acceptance of students within the SEN into their general classrooms will affect the achievement of others. Moreover, teachers feel that the modification of the curriculum is, that is appropriate for regular students and students with SEN is actually quite complex. There's not a lot of funding nor resources for educational teaching or help for teachers or for students. And finally, the absence of political and personal freedoms are significant barrier to promoting values of social justice in schools because they are in a communist country. Values that are necessary for the successful implication of inclusive education. So they're facing a lot of barriers based on the country that they're currently in and the values that the country has. Making sure that everyone's equal, making sure that everyone has given the same chance to succeed in their society. But that means that, as you said before, students who need more help to succeed might not get the help they deserve because they might be that might be frowned upon or there might not be enough funding for that. Because if they're living in the farmland on the countryside of China, there's probably not going to be a lot of funding to help a student who doesn't know how to read. Now, let's go over to Hong Kong. Hong Kong is, I think everyone's heard, that it's fighting with all its might not to be reincorporated into China. It's just been released from UK's involvement. And it's very different because though they know the language of Chinese and they speak it and write it, and they have 
they also have the values for the UK British society. So it's very different between China and Hong Kong. Hong Kong, unlike China that I could find, actually has a definition in the Educational Manpower Bureau for children with special needs. Touch on it at all. That's going to come up in a later episode when we discuss this. They have a full list of special educational needs. That is what SEN means. Special educational needs. It could be hearing impairment, visual impairment, physical handicap, or specific learning differences. This special education bureau in Hong Kong, their goal is to help students with SEN or special educational needs with disabilities to develop their full intellectual potential and to become independent and well-adjusted members of society and the community. In the 1990s, same time as China, as they implemented their first law, there was an increased awareness of human rights and equal opportunities in Hong Kong. It gave a significant impetus to the development of special education, with the implementation of integration becoming an important component of the Hong Kong government's educational policy. There are several laws explaining what they can and cannot do. Today, teachers in Hong Kong feel that they're not getting enough support and guidance from the government to fully implement the integration into their schools, even though after so many years. In a study by Wong, Pearson, and Lo, they highlighted the following challenges. There's inadequate provision of resources, facilities, and knowledge bases, heavy workloads, and inadequate preparation of teachers. There's large class sizes and low teacher-to-student ratios, a lack of special education training, and the lack of collaboration culture, an unsympathetic approach by some preachers who stigmatize students with SEN. Similar to China, they don't have enough funding. They don't have enough teachers. Similar, I think that's a common thread throughout the world that we don't have enough teachers. But they're also dealing with the Confucianism society heritage, similar to China, Japan, and Korea, that there's a stigmatized point of the nail poking up, as he said, that anyone who steps out of line, who gets away from the group, they're doing it on purpose to get some attention because there's way too many. Yes, without question. It's, um, it's clearly a part of these different Asian societies that one of education's goals is to teach you are part of a community and you subsume your own needs for the benefit of the group. And that is very, very different than what happens in the UK, for example, and where Hong Kong was getting originally its message, I believe, and now it's probably having to change. Mm -hmm. But there's one th the difference between China and Hong Kong. There are several higher education institutions in Hong Kong that support the integration of children with special needs into mainstream STEAM schools through provision and professional development and teaching awards in special education. For example, the University of Hong Kong and the Hong Kong Institute of Education offers in-service programs to processing teachers, and there are several undergraduate and postgraduate awards in special and inclusive education. Of course, the government supports the attendance of teachers at some of these courses by providing financial assistance to the schools, which allows the release of these teachers from their regular responsibilities. 
So they're trying to find a way around this Confucianism design and away from the funding, trying to figure out a way to solve this problem so students with learning disabilities or with regular disabilities can learn. Those courses include both theoretical and practical aspects. And the in-service award focuses on the teacher as an active teacher researcher in designing and evaluating the effectiveness of intervention programs for children with special needs. Because a lot of people don't know that dis we're still learning about dyslexia and different learning disabilities like dysgraphia. We're still learning. We're still students. So with these teachers being promoted and trying to push forward, not only to learn this, but to find new ways to teach students with those learning disabilities, really shows that the Hong Kong government and also the people who live in Hong Kong are looking to the future to try to help these students with learning disabilities and get them the aid they need to succeed. Hong Kong has a very easy way to find students with learning disabilities. I couldn't find anything on China, but for children with a low academic achievement in any two to three basic subjects, Chinese, English, and mathematics are considered to have learning disabilities. This target group of students is eligible for admission to the intensive remedy teaching program for children with learning disabilities. To be el eligible for the scheme, children should either score 69 or below on a standard score of those subjects that I first said before. And in September 2005, the number of children with learning disabilities was 27,765. Hong Kong is trying to do trying to push forward to find those students. It's a lot more impressive than what we're doing in America because they're having to go against society, the society that they've built over hundreds of years of those Confucianism ideas and standards that they're trying to break through, but also respect. In China, this is what I've learned. It's not much, but it is some. There is special educational services that are already provided to school-aged children with visual impairments, hearing impairments, and intellectual disability, respectively, in the 2000s. But those three things, visual hearing impairments, that's not dyslexia, nor learning disabilities, but we don't know if intellectual disability is talking about a learning difference. Because there's a lot of other things that they could be talking about. If they a child got hit on the head and they can't think properly, that's not dyslexia, but that is an intellectual disability. So they don't say anything about learning differences. And there's a study by Chen that didn't provide any statistics for any other categories for special needs. The data on children with learning disabilities in China are not available. We can't get them. <laughs> they probably have them, but we can't get them. Um, Chen used the special education information from the United States to illustrate the proportions of different categories of special needs. But they're mostly evaluative, and screening, in screening instruments are available only in large cities in China. It is likely that some children with learning disabilities or other impairments or other disabilities like an intellectual disability have not been detected in many parts of the country. Because there's only a few, China is large, and there's only a few number of cities. There's a lot of farmland, a lot of country land, there's a lot of mountains. And those children out there can't be screened because all the information is in the city hours away. And they have a certain type of school called Subu, Sububan Didu. It's China's inclusion. It has been 
a major option for supporting children with any kinds of special needs by placing them in regular classrooms in their neighborhood schools. But it was a solution, but there's no specialists or general personnel are available to those students in that classroom. A study by Peng and Ritchie pointed out that most of the pressing need for effective implementation of special education in, in China is the training of qualified special educational teachers. So there's no one there to teach. They're making these plans to solve it, but they have no one to teach. I think it's a really, it's, it's a difficult issue because identifying those with special needs is really important. And they're clearly trying to do that, but you can't stop at the identification. Just saying, okay, these students have special needs, off you go. And then not putting trained personnel in there to help them um, is one step, but it doesn't get very far in helping students with any of these yeah. particular needs, helping them be successful. So we're running out of time, and we didn't talk about one the huge thing about the languages and how that works out. But I will put that information and all documents that I use today into the description. So if you're interested in learning about if there's any studies about relationships between phonic awareness and reading of Chinese or Japanese or anything like that, please go to the description below and look at those citations. Thank you so much for listening today. Next podcast will be coming out soon. Thank you.